You're listening to Ember Weekend, your weekend recap of all things Ember. This is episode 35. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy, and we're here to keep you in the Ember Run Loop. We're broadcasting from Hashrocket HQ. It's November 16th, and today's episode is called Copy Pasta Problems. So last week, Martin Melinda posted a blog post about advanced usage of the Ember Inspector. And the Ember Inspector is one of these tools that really kind of separates, uh, you know, other tooling uh, in the JavaScript space because it's just so robust right now and it just it offers you the ability to really introspect on your projects. And I think that that's super invaluable. Um, coming from personal experience, I've, I've saved hours and hours and hours of my life uh, just because I was able to more quickly and more easily get access to the internals of the project. Uh, and I think, I think that's like super valuable. So learning how to utilize it and how to actually gain the most out of it is really important. I think that really we, I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't spend enough time learning our tools. Like it took a long time before I started actually diving into, you know, learning the Chrome console and stuff. So it's really worthwhile to do though, because once you get that, you'll start solving problems more easily. And, uh, Martin did a really great job here of kind of outlining some, some tips and tricks and there, some of the tips and tricks we've mentioned in past episodes, uh, but it's a, uh, it's a really great kind of synopsis of them all. And there was one uh, special one that I didn't know about, which I thought was really cool. So Chase, you want to walk us through that? So one of the really interesting things about this and something that's uh, kind of obvious once you, once you think about it is that you can trigger actions on components um, through the inspector. So you can save them off to a temp variable and then trigger actions. Yeah. This was the one that I was thinking of as the special one. It's like, Awesome. I've never, I've, I've never thought to do that before, uh, but the ability to be able to send actions um, to, you know, just test side effects and things like that is super cool. Yeah, like, and we uh, do this all the time in the inspector right now, where you, you know, you go in and you want to kind of see like what happens when you change some state. You know, if you have something, especially like the form renders in a different way, depending on some property, you can like flip this property back and forth and watch it change, and that's really useful. Um, so you don't have to keep refreshing the page. Um, but one of the things that you know is becoming more and more uh, common is that you don't have these two-way bound things. You actually have these actions that trigger some event that causes something to render different. You know that's kind of the, the new style of you know data down actions up. And so learning how to like trigger these actions manually from the inspector is going to become helpful when you have a lot of your actions being triggered from you know deep in a component and you know kind of bubbling up the yeah. you know, the hierarchy. Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm really excited to to get that one. I I can't wait for a use case where I just like, oh yeah, I really want to just trigger this action like right now and just see what happens. Like I'm 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 really eager to to try that one out. And a few of the other tips uh, are that you can you know in, inspect DS store objects. Uh, you can trap objects to the dollar e variable for use uh, in in the actual console. Uh, and you can set them as uh, global variables. So those are kind of the other the other tips and tricks. But the, the article goes into much greater detail and does a really good job of kind of pulling all this stuff together. So uh, I would definitely recommend, if you get a chance, you should take a look at it. Yeah. You might have seen this, but uh, Ember Data Canary is now officially an Ember add-on. Yay! Uh, it, seems, it seems very meta that, you know, all of the parts of Ember are becoming... Ember add-ons themselves. <laughs> yeah. Can, well, before before we continue talking about the meta-ness of this, can we just get an applause track? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Nice applause. <laughs> and, all, and all we hear is silence. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's not like we have a soundboard or anything. You, you continue. So, yeah. Uh, you know, so thanks to Stanley Stewart for the work on this. That's five Tanley on Twitter, which is apparently, you know, it's like the five is, is an S but it's spelled out. Yeah, just, yeah. Just it confused took, me. It took me an embarrassingly long time to figure that one out. 
So, so uh, you're not you're not alone. <laughs> this all stems from something that uh, you know, was talked about uh, with the uh, recent video that Yehuda Katz did with Gavin Joyce um, about this deep dive into Ember. He actually mentions that um, Ember and Ember Data are on their way to becoming add-ons of Ember CLI. So um, hopefully we'll have another one of these coming up soon uh, for Ember itself. Yeah, really exciting. Uh, the potential to remove the dependency on Bower down the road and get a more true modular Ember uh, where Ember itself is an add-on. All of this stuff is converging. I'm really excited to see the progress of the project. So it's pretty cool. It's really exciting stuff and a tremendous amount of work. And yeah, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you saw the actual commit, but there's just like, yeah, just massive, massive, it's amount, massive of amount of work to get this to, to work properly. So, um, so thanks Stanley. And uh, yeah, everyone check it out, check out the PR. We're going to link to it so that you can, you know, do a thumbs up or write some funny, amusing gif to, to congratulate the Ember data team. Everyone get your emojis ready. The EmberConf CFP is now open. Uh, this is a CFP uh, just like any other CFP you might have seen. Uh, RailsConf is similar uh, where it's a, there's, a, there's a blind phase uh, where you know everybody submits their kind of proposals. They get kind of uh, you know objectively uh, ranked and everybody looks at them and then they, they'll kind of go back and forth and give you some help. Um, so if you have anything interesting you'd think you'd like to talk about in Ember, um, you know, submit your proposals now. Uh, the earlier you get them in, the more likely you are to be chosen. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I really like the process that the CFPs are done in. I submitted last year and got some really great feedback. Even though I uh, didn't get selected last year, I was able to use the feedback I got there and ended up giving a talk at um, at RailsConf. So it's a really great process. Uh, I think that it's it's I I think it's really valuable. Um, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting here is that they also want you to submit a a short 15 to 20 second video of you uh, promoting it to attendees. So it's like you imagine that you were already selected and then this is what you would say to attendees uh, to kind of draw them into your your thing. And that's not, uh, obviously that's not um, uh, going to be seen during the blind phase, but I think that's pretty cool. Brian Crotez did a blog post called Reusable Maintainable Design in Ember.js. And I really enjoyed this because it kind of, I don't know, it, it did help me solidify some of my understanding of, of kind of like good ideas. It's a really cool thing, and I think that there's some there's some uh, main uh, points that we want to focus on. And uh, Chase, you want to walk us through some of those and just kind of tell me what you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the first concern is, you know, having like kind of the smaller levels of your code um, be kind of componentized and pulled out into services. So, you know, kind of isolate the things that have to do with each other into small services and, and you know, view-related things that are kind of closely related to a component um, and, you know, define like a really, um, you know, kind of strict API between these two. So you don't have a lot of like kind of spider webby crossover. Um, and so that's just like all the clean API stuff, like um, just keeping keeping things organized so that you know where to go to find something. Yeah, and and keep the the surface area really small. I think that's the other that's the other thing. Um, and then uh, another another point was uh, when dealing with non-standard APIs, uh, utilize the tools that Ember gives you, so adapters and serializers. He also goes into using an SDK service as a way for you to interface uh, with non-standard APIs, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, definitely worth a read. And then uh, there's the the copy pasta problem, which um, you know, if you come from the Ruby world, um, you you know find yourself using modules a lot, um, and you know the, the the concept of a mixin is uh, very familiar, um, which is you know probably why it's so prevalent in Ember. Uh, the uh, 
the, the funny thing is I find myself not using Mixins a lot. Um, more often than not, I just um, pull something into a, into a service and, and use some kind of dependency injection to get the behavior. Um, but, but, you know, Mixins is one way to fix the, the kind of copy pasta problem. Um, the other way is, of course, pulling things out completely into, into an add-on, some reusable thing, um, which is, you know, more along the lines of this, you know, like I was saying, the dependency injection, you know, make some service that does that. And and I think that uh, one of the things that sometimes uh, prevents people from pulling add-ons out is the idea that you have to push uh, to npm. And if you have a private repository, that can be uh, problematic. I know npm has private npm, but you can also uh, publish to a private GitHub URL and then point your package JSON to that private URL, uh, GitHub URL. So you can pull things out without uh, necessarily using npm as your registry. Yeah, so give the blog post a read. Um, there's, you know, obviously a lot more information than we covered. Um, I'm sure you'll, you know, pick up something interesting and, and new. Yeah, totally. So there was another Gavin Joyce interview with Robert Jackson, um, and this kind of picks up where the uh, the Yehuda Cats interview left off. So um, it's a it's more deep dive into kind of Ember, but this one specifically is dealing with Ember views. Um, neither of us have actually watched it yet, and we plan on watching it today. It's homework. So, We're assigning uh, homework. So, so basically, uh, th- you can look at this as homework. <laughs> go, go watch <laughs> it. Uh, we'll, you know, obviously we'll be talking about it next week. Um, yeah, and by that time, totally. we'll have watched it. Uh, the only thing that I know about this uh, so far, I did watch the first five minutes, uh, is that uh, somebody in Slack pointed out that Robert picks up his coffee mug and then sets it back down without drinking it two times to every time he takes a drink because he'll he'll pull it up and then and then he'll be like, oh yeah, and this other thing, and he'll put it down so he can quickly type. Uh, so. We're going to try to figure out the ratio of, of mug pickups to mug pickups and drinks. So it's going to be interesting. I won't be able to concentrate on anything else. <laughs> I know. It's going to be good, though. I'm really excited about it. You all should watch it, and we will talk about it uh, next week. Thanks for listening to Ember Weekend. If you'd like to follow along, follow us at emberweekend.com. Or you can find us in Ember Weekend, all one word on Twitter, or subscribe via RSS. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next weekend.